Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views given on the following program are not necessarily the views of the station management or staff. Since individual situations can and will be different, please remember this when exercising any options presented by our guests. Success is equated with success. The ambition for excess wrecks us. As the top of the mound becomes the bottom line, where success is equated with excess. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. Bringing life back into balance with a more thoughtful approach to wealth management. Now, from Capstone Wealth Management, here's Chris Klein on the big 1070, 1070 AM and 100.9 FM. Welcome in. I am Mike Pilch along with Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management, taking you through the week that was in the world of finance, giving the best advice there is. For investors, there's a number of ways you can contact Chris. The old-fashioned way via phone, 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. You can email him, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com as well. And uh, welcome in, Chris, to your own program. Hey, thank you very much. How are you? Well, I don't. Apparently, I'm not doing well this morning because when I talked to you off the air, I, I called your company by a different name. I called you by a different name, and I, I, I couldn't remember phone numbers. <laughs> not, that, that's not a good start when you uh, have to ask the guy you're talking to. Why are you calling me? I'm not even 40 years <laughs> old yet, so oh, man. this is this could be a bad sign for me moving forward. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Well, I'd feel better if you told me you'd been drinking already this morning and you just kind of got a little forgetful. But, you know, hey, what fun would that be? So, uh, well, maybe that would be fun. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, I don't know either. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I wasn't drinking. And uh, this is this is interesting. Hopefully it doesn't go on. We're going to talk about Ross IRA conversions and whether or not they make sense. So that's something that uh, certainly a lot of listeners have an investment in that we'll be getting into, maybe some market information as well. Other than that, how did your weekend and your week go? Uh, so far, just wonderful. Uh, you know, winter's here, and boys are getting excited about 
snowboarding again. And have you been out yet? We haven't. No, they've made snow up at uh, up at Cascade, and of course, snow came in last night. But you know, I'm not exactly sure if it's enough. I see I see people up there skiing and snowboarding. I just I don't know. For me, I just I'm not excited about getting out and running down a one run. You know, yeah. in twenty five hundred. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. You know, it's interesting. The, all the golf courses in the Madison area are finally closed. I think Odana Hills was open into the first couple of days of December this year. Yeah. So it's kind of a weird year where the golf course has stayed open later, yet now here we are first week of December, and we're right back to the cold and some snow. So it happens welcome, quick. Welcome to Wisconsin. Something's in, never changed. That's, which kind of... Yeah, something's never changed, which kind of feels like all the economic news. Seems like it never changes. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't changed for like a year significantly, so a year and a half. But uh, this Ross, uh, well, do you want to start with some market stuff before we get into the Ross? I don't know. What, what you know what? About. I don't know. If, did you see the ADP uh, news the other day and and some of the the information that they were throwing out? ADP, you know, the the payroll processing company that always kind of does a. Uh, precursor for jobs numbers i saw a little blurb on it i don't know if i saw what you're going to talk about though well and it's not well to me it's i i find it i find it incredibly interesting for a whole host of reasons but you know so the adp comes out and says that that there were uh like in the previous month forty thousand new manufacturing jobs that had been created okay i didn't see that no now forty thousand doesn't maybe sound like a lot to some people, but you have to take it in context of what the sector is, right? Sure. Think back, literally, just the last summer, but well, not summer of 17, but summer of 16, all sorts of political pundits talking across the board were saying that, hey, look, it's a new environment, it's a new era, these manufacturing jobs that are, have been lost they're gone. They're not coming back. Mm. In fact, I don't know, maybe you remember the the, uh, the speeches that, um, at the time, President Obama was given to, like, the carrier group. You remember that? I vaguely recall it, yeah. And there was a lot of political hubbub going on at that time, of course, because, you know, everybody was wrangling and wringing their hands about who was going to be the next commander-in-chief and, and whatnot. And rightly so. But nonetheless, someone in the carrier group uh, mentioned uh, about how President Trump had, now President Trump, but then candidate Trump had promised to bring back manufacturing jobs. Mm-hmm. And all anyone could ever say was, well, how is that going to happen? How is he going to do that? There's no plan, this, that. It just, it was, it was one negative after another. And the expectation, I think, for most people, were that those jobs had been replaced by robotics, that they had been outsourced to another country for, because of cheaper labor, you name it. Bottom line, they were gone, they're not coming back. Well, now all of a sudden we're seeing the exact opposite, in fact, is happening. In fact, ADP, I'm pretty confident that their report of 40,000 new manufacturing jobs was the largest single-month increase ever. Has this already been adjusted? I believe so. Yeah, well, they're going to adjust it later. you know, going forward at, way, yeah, later. But number, the, yeah. The, the, yeah, I mean, the headline number is, I think, <laughs> stunning. Because so many people believed those jobs to be gone, and you know who could blame them to some degree. I mean, look at the increase in in robotics that have taken place. You know, I saw another article. Just what brought it to my mind was talking about robots. Um, Amazon has hired like seventy five thousand robots. Call it hired. 
they've put in place 75,000 robots in like the last year. <clears throat> Those robots would have ordinarily been filled by a human mm-hmm. because of the jobs that were being you know, put together and, and taken place at the time. So you take that into consideration, and then you look back and you start to listen to some of the conversations about these manufacturing jobs that were leaving and or gone and never coming back. I said, you know, well, to some degree, I don't know who could blame anyone for thinking that they wouldn't come back. Mm-hmm. But what I think it points to simply, and, and I think this is what markets have been responding to for some time now, is that when you have, the, when you have appropriate fiscal policy in place, and it's married up with the appropriate monetary policy. What's appropriate monetary policy when you're an investor? Liquidity. <laughs> That's the bottom line. When you're an investor, if you have a monetary condition that is ripe with liquidity, then that's the right monetary policy to have. Now, it might not be right to some of the, the you know talking heads and some of the academics who are worried about balance sheet size and all that sort of stuff. I get it. From an investor standpoint, if you can get fiscal policy appropriately married up with with monetary policy, you have conditions that are dramatic and, and ultimately result in what we've essentially been seeing. So the fiscal policy that's been putting in place is focusing on finding ways to be more business-focused. And you're starting to, I think, see that come to fruition, which our markets have really, again, started to, to take off, you know, just in the way that they've been acting now outside of earnings season. I think another thing that I take away from that, the 40,000 jobs created by manufacturing and the thought, the fact that so many people thought those jobs would be lost, it shows that how unpredictable everything still is and always will be. It is. No, that's a great point. And and too many times people want to take the news of the day and treat it as if it's now going to be set in stone forever. Well, if there's any one thing that an investor needs to be is nimble, and, and I think your point is exactly spot on. It, it, the minute you think something is uh, is different, it's not. The minute you think it's the same, it's different. <laughs> the more they change, the more they seem the same. You know how it is. Yeah, you know, and when it comes to investing, there. and I saw a report the other day, and I forgot who had written it, but um, someone someone wrote a report that essentially said, you can't analyze companies by their earnings anymore, you know? And the first thing that, that <laughs> the first thing that I thought about when I read that was, oh, good grief, it's 2000 all over again. Because that was the exact same argument that people were making in late 1999 in the very beginning of 2000, saying that, hey, traditional earnings are not the way that you need to be fundamentally identifying the best companies anymore. And, you know, you got to be looking for... You know, and they had a whole host of things that at that time, which was, of course, everything was Internet, that you had to look at, you know, the, the clicks of a, of, of a company's website. And you had to look for, you know, just different metrics compared to traditional earnings per share, price per sales ratios, uh, peg ratios, stuff that everybody who's a fundamentalist looks at. Mm-hmm. And so now you're starting to see some of that same dogma creep into the conversation. And I just find it, absolutely hilarious that it's this sort of stuff that creeps in when markets are on a tear. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So now now the argument is you can't look at fundamental earnings anymore. You have to look at, you you have to look at things that are intrinsic, the intrinsic capital of a company like their patents or, or whatever it might be, their knowledge base. And I'm thinking, 
okay, fine, that's great, but all that still points towards a, a, an empirical number that comes out in earnings. If you have wonderful knowledge capital and fantastic patents that provide you an opportunity to sell more of your stuff, doesn't that impact your earnings? Yeah. You know, it's almost like they're kind of changing the rules around to fit their narrative in a way. Yeah, you know, and that always seems to happen towards market extremes. Yeah. And that's not to suggest that our market currently is extreme, but with that said, we're certainly closer to a top than we are a bottom, you know, given all the fundamental metrics that you would typically look at in, in index analysis, such as, you know, the, the historical P.E. ratio of the market or, or, or to use other items like the CAPE ratio and stuff like that, the cyclically adjusted price earnings ratio is what the CAPE ratio is. I mean, all these numbers point towards a market that is closer to a top than a bottom. The problem is, is that you never can pick a top and you never can pick a bottom. Right. So we may be a week, a month, we may be a year away from a top. We have said again and again and again and again, market tops have a tendency to look very much alike. And right now, there's not things happening that would point us towards, hey, oh goodness, that's a top. But you're getting things starting to trickle in that just make us point towards previous tops, like ridiculous news items that make no sense when you're attempting to fundamentally analyze how a market works or how companies work in a market, I should say. You know, so you're right. The more things change, the more they stay the same, the, the, the more things people kind of drum up to, you know, fit a narrative that, that they want to talk about. Uh, you got to follow it and find out what is, what is that group attempting to sell? That's always something sure. that I try to look at. You know, ever since you started talking about that, I look at that all the time now. I've mentioned before that one of the first websites I go to every day is MSN.com just because they got all the head. It's an easy place to find all the world headlines, the news, the sports, the entertainment, whatever. You've got it all there. But if you look at their their scroll section, I think they'll, they'll have stories, maybe 15 stories and maybe 11 are sponsored. And yeah, right. the amount of clickbait out there has grown significantly over the last year. It has, you know, and it's you know, it's really unfortunate, too, because it's making it harder and harder and harder for, for the average investor to figure out, well, what's real? What matters? What, what should I be looking at? You know, and to some degree, that's, I think, one of the reasons why people have given up being what we would view as a real investor and just piling money into an index and, you know, just, just darn the torpedoes, just keep after it sort of thing, you know, and... That's fine, it, presuming you have a reasonably long time horizon on your hands. That's potentially very dangerous if you're either at or in retirement. You know, you, you just don't want to go through another 2000 or a 2008. But at the same time, the people who are in that mix right now, Mike, are, are just very aware of the fact that there's nowhere else to go. They can't plug their money in a bunch of CDs in most cases because you're not making any money. It's not a real great idea to plug your money in a bunch of bonds. One, the potential illiquidity that comes with that asset class anyway. But two, yeah, the chances of interest rates dropping from here compared to them rising from here, the well, probability is on the side of a rising interest rate environment, not the opposite. Right. That, that works against you as a bond investor. So it's not that we hate bonds. We use them in some cases to try and help squelch volatility in some portfolios for those clients that need it. But you have to be super careful about the kinds that you choose 
given the, the current environment that we're in. So market's still continuing to be strong. Earnings are essentially done at this point. The retail sector had really pretty decent numbers, and some of the companies that are in that sector have just been on an absolute tear. So it's kind of funny to watch because everyone thought that everything retail is dead because of Amazon. And in the last month, month and a half, probably, well, not probably, clearly one of the best-performing sectors has been retail. <laughs> so I, I always get a chuckle out of that. The minute everyone tells you that a sector is dead, chances are good you should probably start looking at it. I should have cued the Twilight Zone music there for that comment because that is a funny <laughs> comment. All right, we'll have more of these bits of market information. Plus, Chris is going to tell you some Ross IRA concerns and whether or not they really make sense. He is Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. This is Buddy Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. This is Buddy Talks with Capstone Wealth Management along with Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. Capstone Wealth Management, a fee-only financial advisory service. A number of ways you can get in contact with them if you ever want to talk about your financial situation. 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. Also, you can just email them, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. You know, we were talking about some market information and how... Things are kind of hard to read right now. But you mentioned how the retail sector was pretty solid, pretty good here recently. And not only is retail doing better, but I think I've read in multiple cases where they're expecting a ton of people traveling for Christmas. A lot of people were on the roads for Thanksgiving. So the exposable income is there right now for a lot of people, probably more so than it has been in a while. I would agree. I mean, the, the consumer... You know, it's certainly by the metrics that we have the opportunity to, to, to look at and, and consider, you know, in terms of how they're doing, are, are doing fine. You know, they've they've put themselves in a position through the financial crisis to, to lever down some of their debt and at the same time, you know, uh, uh, save some more funds. And, you know, you're right. I, for the most part, they seem to be okay. The tax cut possibility for the middle class, presuming it gets done, uh, near the way in which both the House and Senate versions have viewed are, are a positive. So who knows? Maybe there are some who are spending on the com, which I suspect that might be true, too. Yeah, I would agree. Okay, Ross IRA conversions and some new information about that. And uh, does it really make sense to do it? So I'll let you take the floor here. Yeah, and, and I don't know that it's really new, but it certainly is an area that I get more and more and more questions on um, rolling in the into the end of a year. Um, most of the time, it, it seems that, that, generally speaking, people seem to advise against paying a tax today that you could defer until tomorrow or sometime way later. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, and I understand that, and that certainly is a, uh, a piece of planning advice that I have used uh, with clients in days gone by and continue to. Um, but there are circumstances where you could be better off paying income taxes now versus paying it in the future. So <clears throat> what I'd like to do over the next couple of segments is just kind of talk about some of the, the differences and, and how these things work and when they do make sense and when they don't make sense. But to get there, I probably should give a very brief fundamental understanding of the difference between a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA. Yeah, that'd be good. 
So most people listening probably have a cursory understanding of how it works, but very basically, uh, a traditional IRA is one where when you put money into it, it's generally income tax deductible, but there are some limitations. If, if a person is an active participant in a qualified plan, like a 401k, for example, then that person is going to be subject to a phase-out or an income restriction, right? <clears throat> it just means that the amount that they can deduct from their income taxes phases out as their income climbs from the bottom to the top of a particular IRS set range that's, uh, that's in place. And, and again, it's only for those people who are currently active participants in an employer-sponsored retirement plan, again, like a 401k. There basically are, are three different environments that someone might find themselves in uh, with regards to the, the phase-out um, chart that's available today. You're either single, you're either married with one spouse participating in an employer-sponsored plan, or you're married with both spouses participating in a uh, employer-sponsored plan. If you're single, your income starts to basically phase out, your, your deductibility of your IRA contributions, rather, phase out after $72,000 of, of income. And this is what they call modified adjusted gross income. I don't want to get too yeah. wonky and detail on that, but basically it's that number that you would see at the bottom of the front of your 1040. Gotcha. So if you're a participant and you're single and you make more than 72000 unlikely you're going to be able to deduct your contribution to a regular IRA. If you're married with one participant, one spouse participating in an employer-sponsored plan, then you're going to see that deductibility go away after about 119000 And if both of you are participants, you're going to see it phase out after about 196000 Okay. okay. <clears throat> so... Even though traditional IRA distributions are taxed at ordinary income tax rates, it can still make some sense to contribute if you're eligible to receive an upfront deduction. And a lot of people just don't even think about this. You know, they, they plow money into their 401k and they might be doing the maximum contribution that is allowable to them uh, for that particular employer. And, uh, and then they just kind of forget about other outside opportunities that, that could potentially be available to them as well, either through a regular traditional IRA or even in some cases a Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. The things that they have to think about or consider as it relates to whether or not making a deductible contribution into an IRA, presuming their income is within those phase-out limits, has to do with do they have an ability to put money in areas that would be treated differently from a tax perspective, right? I mean, long-term capital gains tax rates and dividend tax rates are at least currently and have been for some time, so there's no reason to think they won't stay this way with a new tax bill coming in place. But they're currently lower than ordinary income tax rates. So, you know, some people will talk about a non-deductible contribution into an IRA, and when you think about that, that in most cases wouldn't make sense because you're putting money into an IRA, you don't get an income tax deduction for it, and then in the future when you decide to take the money out, your earnings come out taxed as ordinary income versus being able to be treated more favorably like what you would get with capital gains and dividends for a non-retirement account, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So there's no upfront deduction, like I said, and, and in some cases that is just almost a senseless move, but there is one instance where it is not senseless, and this is an area 
where if someone finds themselves in a position where both spouses are currently uh, in, a, in an active participant role with a retirement plan sponsored by an employer, and their income is above the limits where they're phased out. So in this case, a husband and wife, both of them are participants of an employer-sponsored plan, and they make more than that $196,000 number. In that case, they have no ability to put deductible IRA contributions together, but they could do a non-deductible IRA. Now, why would they want to do that? Only because you would instantly convert it into a Roth IRA. Why would they do that? Because their income is too high for them to make a direct contribution to a Roth IRA. So you have to use what we call a backdoor strategy, right? <laughs> Nothing's ever easy with a government. You'd think that it would be okay if, for you to save more of your own money, right? Not always yes. the case. <laughs> Not always it's the case. Because they want it all. We know that. Yeah, right, right, right. So if someone's listening and they happen to be a high-income earner and they happen to be above the phase-out limits for deductible IRA contributions and they wanted to save more and they happen to be participants of employer-sponsored plans that causes them to be phased out, all is not lost. You still have the capacity to get some money into a Roth IRA. You just got to take a two-step approach, okay? Um Give a real quick example, or rather a, a definition, of the Roth IRA, because I just talked about traditional. With a Roth IRA, what's different is that contributions are not tax-deductible, like what you hope to get with an IRA contribution, but earnings can be withdrawn income tax-free if the... Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The person putting the money in there is at least 59 and a half. And they've had the Roth for at least five years. All right, say that again. With a Roth IRA, contributions are not tax deductible, so it's an after-tax contribution. But earnings, and of course, the contribution that you made can always come out without any penalty or any tax liability. But earnings on a Roth IRA, different from a regular IRA, can be withdrawn completely income tax-free, presuming persons older than fifty-nine and a half and that they've owned that Roth IRA for at least five years. There you go. Okay? okay. 
<clears throat> and that's something that is very easy for many to miss. Now, your contributions that go into this thing, those can always come out without any penalty and without any tax, any time. No limitations. So your money, your contributions that go into this thing, are really just like a tax-free savings account. I was just going to say that. That's all it is, really. <laughs> Cause it's, it's, yeah, because it's completely liquid. And the IRS has a degree, what we call ordering rules, in place where we know that contributions always come out first and then it orders itself on down from there. So one of the other elements of a Roth IRA that, that sometimes goes um, you know, noticed but maybe not recognized to the degree of its importance um, for someone that is older, but when you hit 70 and a half with a traditional IRA, you're required by the government to take a minimum amount out, whether you need it or not, and you get to pay income taxes on it. Now, for a person who might have a fairly small estate, that's not necessarily going to cause them a bunch of grief, but imagine someone with a $5 million IRA that now has to take out a couple hundred thousand bucks that they didn't intend to have to spend. Yeah, that wouldn't be fun. You know, you get. It's great that you've got the money, but you've got to pay income taxes on these funds. And you know, given the progressive nature of our income tax code, and it doesn't look like that's going to go away with with the House or Senate version. Although I like the House's version better because there's only four brackets versus seven. Mm -hmm. I hope that they minimize the amount of brackets available and kind of expand uh, the, the 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 instances in which you hit these upper brackets. But because of the progressive nature of the income tax code that exists, the more money you take out of your IRA, the more is taxed at a higher rate, right? You don't have required minimum distributions with a Roth IRA because there's nothing to tax. Now, could they change those rules in the future? Yep, of course they could. It's the government. And as we know, they can pretty much do whatever sure. they want to do, right? <laughs> so we recognize there's always some risk in anyone making either a contribution or maybe more importantly a conversion into a Roth IRA because the government and the rules that they put in place are often so very fickle. As it stands, there have been no major implications of changes to Roth IRAs that we've been able to see in this current uh, tax law that they're trying to now reconcile. Uh, and who knows what happens going forward, but at least this one will be in place for the next few years, right? Mm -hmm. um, in terms of contribution limits, the maximum that an individual could contribute either to a traditional or a Roth IRA is $5,500 or 6500 if you're over 50. Okay. What's important to remember about that is that you can choose to contribute to either type of those accounts or to both. It's not an all or nothing you just can't exceed the maximum amount that they give you. So if you're under yeah. 50, it's $5,500. If you're over 50, they give you some catch-up opportunity. It's $6,500, right? All right. Let's uh, take a time out. We'll get into more of this in a moment. I like what you said about the tax brackets moving from seven to four. That does make sense. I also have come up with some names for those four brackets. So I'll let you know what those are on the other side as well. He is Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. And this is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. I am 
Mike Pilch, along with Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management, taking you through the week that was in the world of finance, giving the best advice there is out there for investors. number of ways you can contact Chris if uh, you'd like him to take a look at your financial work, uh, well-being and help plan for the future, 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886, or you can email him, info at careformywealth.com. Chris, you talked about the... The, the amount of tax brackets the two versions of the new tax bill have, one right. has seven, one has four. Yeah, the Senate version has seven, the House version has four, correct. So essentially, with the House version, you're looking at those in the caviar class, those <laughs> in the steak class, those in the beer class, and those in the ramen noodle class. <laughs> Perhaps that's true. <laughs> that's kind of what we're getting at here, right? So... I, I guess that's one way to look at it, although you do realize that's that's just grossly politically incorrect. Oh, say. exceedingly. <laughs> it's slightly stereotypical. I, I understand. Which is why I love it. <laughs> I, I totally understand that, but sometimes we just don't care. You just got to do You got to go there. Yeah, I hate political correctness, so good for you. That's right. Um, so, all right, we're talking about a little market information, but we're talking about how you can turn your traditional IRA into a Roth IRA and essentially make more money. That's kind of the way I gather that. So so you're going to have to kind of recap what you said and get into this next part. Yeah, maybe. So then probably the biggest question is if you qualify for a deductible traditional IRA and a Roth IRA, which one makes the most sense? Right? Sure. I, this is going to sound a little bit, you know, oh, that guy sounds just like a financial planner. <laughs> it does depend on the person's facts and circumstances, but I need to give some rules of thumb that just can help people choose maybe a little bit more wisely, okay. right? Okay. If you have a lot of years before you're going to need to withdraw the money in retirement, and you think that your income tax bracket is going to either be the same or higher when you retire than it is today, then a Roth IRA is probably a good idea, probably makes sense, right? For example, a Roth IRA can really be attractive for younger workers who are, well, just a very long way away from their peak earnings years. Maybe they're just getting started. Peak earnings years, when do those usually happen? Hey, guess what? It's different for everybody. <laughs> Some don't hit peak until they hit their 50s, but traditionally speaking, people are starting to peak their earnings in their late 30s, you know, early 40s kind of a time frame, you know? Um, if someone thinks that their income tax bracket is going to be lower when they retire, then more often than not, you're going to be better off taking the upfront deduction of a traditional IRA. Now, after 25 years of doing this, Mike, you know what I usually find? What do you that, usually find? That somebody is in a lower income tax bracket when they retire. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Now, sometimes some people believe that they're just going to spend way more money than they, than they, than they think right. heading into retirement. But the biggest difference is that when you're working, people see their net income. And what comes out of that check? Well, what's coming out of that check is, in most cases, their 401k contributions, mm -hmm. their health insurance deductions, right. maybe a contribution into some type of a cafeteria plan that provides them some benefits for child care and, and, you know, things of that nature, right? Mm -hmm. uh, from that check, obviously, is also uh, deductions for income taxes, federal, state, FICA, Social Security, right? All that stuff. Yep. You don't need well, to you, Yeah, right. When you retire, that stuff's not there. 
So more often than not, I find that when people retire, they just aren't spending the amount of money that they thought that they were going to spend. Now, is there an outlier here and there? Yeah, absolutely. There's always an outlier where someone ends up spending just a pile of money and, uh, and, and is doing it for a whole host of reasons. You know, uh, maybe they've come down with an illness that, you know, really isn't hampering them too badly yet, but if it continues on, it may. And so they're, they're doing everything they can now, right? Um, maybe they come from a family where life expectancies aren't too long. You know, sure, they could break that, that pattern. But point being is, is that in our experience, in most cases, we just don't see people spending the type of money that they thought they would before they retired. Okay. All right. So it's not Fine. really surprising, but okay. Yeah, and, and I think it surprises almost everybody when I, uh, when I say that to them. And, and to a person, no one believes me as we do the planning to lead up to retirement. <laughs> Once we're in retirement for a couple, three years, then all of a sudden it's, oh, well, okay. I, I guess maybe you were right. Well, right. that's fine. Doesn't matter. We just want to make sure people have lots of opportunities to, to create for themselves the retirement of their dreams. And choosing the type of investment vehicle, the IRA or the Roth IRA, is one of these fundamental choices that you've got to make. So I'm never going to say to someone, you should completely ignore a Roth IRA possibility because in our experience, everybody spends less in retirement. That, that's not a fair presumption. Sure. My advice in my planning is always, how can we find balance, right? And so that means that in many instances, we might want to take advantage of a little bit of both, but we have to do the planning on it and just see how it's going to work. Now, for some people who have been piling money away into their traditional 401k or into traditional IRAs or SEP IRAs, if they've been self-employed or whatever it may be, they now are facing a great big asset where any money that they take out of it is going to be taxable as ordinary income. And should they leave that asset to another family member, a spouse, or, or anyone else that might inherit it after they pass away, they're going to have the income tax liability on top of it after they're done, mm -hmm. okay? So now we have to look at, does it make sense to create what's called a Roth IRA conversion, okay? If you're not eligible to contribute into a Roth IRA, and maybe the employer-sponsored uh, plan, the 401k, doesn't allow someone to make Roth design contributions. Maybe they just don't have a Roth option inside that 401k. Although more and more plans are getting this, there are certainly some that, that still don't have that. If that's the case, then another way to take advantage of a Roth IRA and the potential future benefits of it is to convert some or all of the traditional IRAs into Roth IRAs. Mm -hmm. Even though you've got to pay current income tax on the amount that you convert into a Roth IRA, it still can make some sense. And here are some basic rules of thumb that you need to consider if you're considering converting IRAs to Roth IRAs. All right. Number one, it could make sense if you think you will be in the same or higher income tax bracket when you withdraw the money at retirement or whatever it might be, right? Okay. If you have a very long time horizon in front of you before you hit that retirement number, what's long-term, long long-time uh, to go? I would say at least... 15 years, okay. okay? Number three, you can pay the tax. You can, again, it, it, it makes sense to make Roth conversions if you can pay the tax from sources other than your IRA, such as regular taxable 
brokerage accounts or right. bank accounts or something like that, right? Right, right. Yep. It, it, it wouldn't make any sense for someone to try and convert some or all of their IRA assets into the Roth, but then have no money anywhere other than from that IRA to pay the tax, right? And I'll talk a little bit about that more as we develop this. But the last one that someone might need to con- consider uh, whether or not it makes sense to make a Roth IRA conversion is if that person doesn't need to use the money and wants to leave an income tax-free inheritance to their heirs. There are lots and lots of people out there that would like to do that. So whether or not someone is, 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 is able to do a Roth IRA conversion isn't necessarily dependent just on your age. We've seen instances where Roth conversions made some sense for people who were well into retirement, maybe even in the upper ages. Right? Mm-hmm. I mentioned that there are some important elements as it relates to paying the income tax on the conversion, right? It's super important that if you pay the tax from your IRA, you're going to lose the potential benefit of tax free growth, obviously, on that amount, which is kind of defeating the purpose of converting. Sure. I mean, if, yeah. if you convert $10,000 from an IRA to a Roth IRA and you're in a 25% federal and state income tax bracket, well, now you've got to be taking out roughly $13,000, pay the tax from that IRA to convert. But guess what? If you're under 59 and a half, it's not just your income tax that you've got to worry about. It's a penalty on top of it, mm-hmm. right? Right. And it's not just a federal penalty on top of it. Potentially, it's a state penalty depending upon where you live. Oh, jeez. So you really got to be careful with this. You got to make sure that if you're going to do a Roth IRA conversion, you just absolutely don't want to pay your tax liability on that conversion from the IRA you just made the conversion from. Right. Right. Okay. Ideally, you're just going to have this as cash on hand to pay the income tax. And I say cash on hand in terms of checking or savings or or some type of an asset that would not be a capital asset. Why? If you're taking, say, a capital asset and you sell it to pay the income tax, what happens if the sale of that asset generates for you a capital gains tax? Mm-hmm. Well, now you've got the capital gains tax to pay uh, just to get the tax money to pay on the conversion. So you, you just have to look at this. Now, coming into the end of the year, there are some people who need to make uh, or who have some losses on non-IRA capital assets. Maybe they've got some stocks that they've lost some money on and they just don't really care if they hold on to them anymore. Maybe it makes sense to generate some loss harvesting. In other words, you sell that stock at a loss and then you make the IRA conversion to the Roth and you use those funds that you have just sold the stock from to pay the tax. Sure. Well, now you, you get a capital gains loss deduction off of your return to help offset at least some of the income tax liability, right? This is uh, a lot of information to take in. That's why people need to talk to you about it, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is a lot of stuff, for sure, you know. It's, uh, it's a lot of if this happens, if this happens, if that happens. Well, Chris will have more information on this on the other side. Just a handful of minutes to wrap things up. He is Chris Klein, and I am Mike Pilch. This is Buddy Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. Hi, 
I am Mike Pilch along with Chris Klein. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management, our final segment. If you want to get in contact with Chris, call him at 866-596-9886 or email him info at careformywealth.com. Going back Chris's time frame to the early 80s and some talking heads there because why not? Right, Chris? Why not? Absolutely. In the 80s, it's got to be good. I kind of agree with that, 150,000%. All right, Roth IRA conversion, some more info we need to know here. Well, because we don't have a pile of time left, let let me just talk about this. Who benefits most from a Roth conversion? And I think that's a question that I get a fairly decent amount, you know, from clients who have traditional IRAs that have been built up through the years. You know, we've got to remember that the primary reason for Congress expanding Roth conversion eligibility was simply to accelerate the collection of income taxes. Sure, right. right. You know, otherwise, it would have been locked up in traditional IRAs or 401ks for decades at a time. But, again, we have to consider who is going to benefit most, you know, besides the U.S. Treasury, from making this kind of a conversion. Taxpayers who are in a lower income tax bracket right now, such as younger workers that are a ways yet from reaching their peak earning years, they're some of the folks that could benefit the most from a Roth conversion. Taxpayers that are in the top income tax bracket might find the projections that we would do maybe less compelling just simply because of the chance that they're going to be in either the same or a much higher income tax bracket after retirement. But if we got money out of traditional IRAs before they hit 70 and a half and kind of prepaid some of that tax, then all of a sudden their required minimum distribution would drop as well, right? I mean, if we had $5 million in traditional IRAs and we embarked on a plan over a, say, 5- to 10-year period to whittle down that $5 million by maybe a million or $2 million in conversions from traditional to Roth, well, then obviously your, your, your required minimum distribution, the amount of money that the federal government says you have to take this out, would drop by half too, sure. right? Yeah. That could be tremendously compelling for some high-income tax, high-asset owners because it, it provides them an opportunity to more, more, more nimbly plan their estate and plan for gift strategies and maybe even charitable strategies that they might have, mm-hmm. right? So, the, you know, just because someone's in a very high-income tax bracket doesn't automatically move them away from the possibility of, of in, in engaging in some type of, of Roth conversion strategy, right? Sure. Um, income taxes aside, very high net worth individuals might find that converting either some or all of their traditional IRA to a Roth is very advantageous, again, from an estate planning purpose, right? <clears throat> IRAs are very, very hard to deal with in an estate. Now, right now, the tax law, as it was currently passed by both the House and the Senate, but not yet reconciled, has an estate tax exemption of $11 million per person. Okay. okay? Both are the same, so it wouldn't potentially seem reasonable that that's going to get changed, although who knows in reconciliation and negotiation whether or not that number changes dramatically. But basically what that says is that if you have the appropriately planned estate, a husband or wife, could transfer each $11 million to the next generation. So that's $22 million, okay? That's pretty good, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, that could potentially be hit by some fairly quickly with 
you know, the value of a private business with farmland. I mean, goodness gracious, look at what land is going for just in the outer perimeter of Madison itself. Hmm. And if you've ever flown over just the outer perimeter of Madison, the one thing you should walk away from is, holy cow, there's a lot of green space here. There is, yes. Tremendous amount of land. Well, somebody owns it. (laughs) And somebody is going to have a potentially high estate value based on just current best use value of that property. Traditional IRAs are notoriously difficult to deal with when passing an estate because if, in fact, you breach that that estate tax exemption limit and all of your entire asset base is is retirement plans, IRAs with with pent-up tax liability, not only do you have an ordinary income tax liability on that distribution of the IRA to the next generation, yeah, sure, they can take it out over their life expectancy, but if it's that big of an IRA asset, that distribution is going to be pretty large every year, and if it breaches that estate tax exemption limit, they get to pay a death tax on on top of it. It's very expensive. So that's why I said, just because someone is a high income tax earner or a high estate owner, it doesn't automatically knock them out of uh, being in a situation to transition into a Roth conversion strategy. In fact, it might, in fact, it might even increase it. So okay? Tom Cruise probably has stuff in Roth IRAs, huh? That's what you're telling well, me. Well, that's hard to say, you know. I mean, it, it, I would suspect if I had to guess that through the years he's done some kind of tax planning. I mean, most of these really super high income earners get their money and they start putting it into foundations and stuff like that. Sure. So, there are off- yeah. yeah, there are offshore planning strategies that are legal uh, that over time can can uh, uh, positively impact someone's tax liability, but you have to be very careful with that. And you've got to use the U.S. tax code for your benefit if you're a U.S. citizen. Because if you're a U.S. citizen, you pay tax on worldwide income and yeah. worldwide assets. Doesn't matter where they're at. That's right? wild. That's really wild. That's <clears> yeah, it I've is. thought of because I've never had to, but that's nuts. <laughs> hey, you never know. Someday you just might be the next maybe Rush Limbaugh hitting it huge in radio. Darn right. right. You're darn right. <laughs> Except I'll have a platinum-plated mic and not a gold one. Beautiful. Beautiful. I, I like it. I like it. The last thing that I just want to make sure everyone remembers is if you do a Roth conversion, don't do it if you don't have money sitting outside of the traditional IRA to pay your tax on the conversion. It's just it's just not a good place to be, Right. So so just pay attention to some of the basics. There are more things that we have to watch out for, but I know we're limited in time. So if someone would like to know more about how a Roth conversion could potentially positively or negatively impact them, shoot us an email, info at careformywealth.com or toll-free 866-596-9886, and I can give you a few pointers on how it works or actually put together a spreadsheet that shows you uh, a conversion strategy. All right, again, that's 866-596-9886. You can also email them, info at Care For My Wealth. And, of course, first time in, you just sit down and talk. No feed it. See you the first time, right? Yeah, that's how it works. All right. We've got uh, a little more to get to next week as we'll be continuing some of our discussion on this. And you'll get the latest market info as well. He is Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. Have a good and safe week. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? 
Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.